0: Inside Books with Breeda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a program about the magical world of writing. I'm Breeda Brown, and in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers, and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms, and our Twitter handle is at Inside Books I where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Martina Murphy, the Irish author who has published 22 books over the past 25 years. She started with young adult titles, moved into commercial fiction and is now on the bookshelves as a crime author. Martina has won many awards for her books over the years and was long listed as well for an Impact Award. She has also written a number of plays, including one based on Jonathan Swift and also part-written and produced Fractured, a podcast about a fictional family living through the war of independence And just to add another string to the bow, she's also a qualified drama teacher with the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London and ran her own drama school for a number of years. Now, Martina, you come from a family of six and apparently all of your siblings were involved in writing, acting and drama at some point in their lives. So was it, you know, the fact that you were surrounded by so much creative arts, was it just a given that you were going to work in the sector?
1: Um... I don't know. I mean, I'm the eldest, so I suppose I was the one who kind of set it for the others, but we were sent to speech and drama classes when we were small. Um, A woman up the road ran them and uh, we all just loved it. And we all took to it like ducks to water. And my dad was kind of into drama when he was younger. He was actually in the very first production of Liffey Lane in the Gate Theatre as a child actor. Yeah. So he has a program and all that kind of thing. So we kind of say we got it from him. Uh, But my mother would be a great kind of oral storyteller as well. So yeah
0: so you started writing quite early then
1: i did i kind of well i oh, i can't remember time when i wasn't writing um i know i read a lot of books when i was growing up and i spent my communion money on books and i had shelves of books and um i started then to kind of do mystery books like ina Blyton's kind of famous five or whatever and um but they were um, terrible, actually. <laughs> like, they were literally ripping off our plots left, right and centre. So when I was 11, then I started secondary school because I was young enough starting school. And that's when they kind of I had an epiphany. I said, I'm going to write a book about a girl called Anne who starts secondary school and knows nobody and she gets, and basically I wrote four of those books and my friends all read them and stuff like that. So yeah, I've been writing a long time. And my very first book then Live Wire, which was published in 97. I actually wrote that when I was like 15. Really? 15? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, it, it was a natural progression. Like the gang books, there was four of them. And by the time, The fourth book came and the heroine was married and she had a dog and a car and it was like boring. So (laughs) I sort of thought to myself, what can I do now? So I took her younger brother, Tony, who was kind of really bold little boy, I suppose, you know, and I put him into a book called Livewire where he was a teenager and um, I wrote his story as a teenager, though I called him Joey um, because it just suited the character better. But that's where he came from at 15 and I wrote that book and then I typed it up years later and sent it off. And
0: And when you say typed it up years later, because I think there was a gap of of nearly about ten years as such. But when you Mm. went back and typed it up, you were ten years older, looking at it through different eyes. What was that like? That's
1: very good. Yeah, I I was. Well, literally, I never let the book go. I always knew it was a good book and I bought a word processor and it took me a couple of years to type it up because it was actually big. It needed a lot of editing. And um, yes, and when I typed it up, I was a parent myself. I had a little boy. He was one, I think. And I suddenly realized that Joey's dad in the book was a bit of a monster. And Mm. I said, no parent would be a monster like that. Like parents care for their children. So I kind of edited that part of the book. Um, so that, that's really the only change there was really in the, the arc of the story. And um, there was a lot to be taken out. There's a lot of scenes that went nowhere and stuff like that, but, um, nothing had really changed in those 10 years in Ireland. You know, the book was written 10 years previous to that, but technology hadn't moved on. Like in this particular book, there's no smartphones, there's no computers, there's no Facebook. There's like the 1980s childhood really in it, um, which was the same as a, very early 1990s childhood, which is roughly when it was published. So, and it was Poole
0: Beg who published for you.
1: It was Poole Beg who published it, yeah, yeah. And they went on to publish three more of my teenage books and three commercial fictions then.
0: And you were pretty hot and heavy then for a couple of years because it was pretty much a a book a year nearly, for for, certainly for
1: five or six years, was it? It was a book a year um, until probably 2016, actually. Um, and in 2016, I ended up, I had breast cancer. So I just reassessed and I thought I'd love to just stretch my wings and maybe do other stuff, uh, writing wise, creative wise. um And so I actually have been out of the writing game really um for about four years before I published my first crime book. Mm.
0: And what I love about you as well is that you have you've changed genre over the years, as you said, because you started with a young adult and then moved into commercial fiction and you had a number like there was quite a lot of commercial fiction titles there before before 2016 and things changed.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, Well, you see, my commercial fiction were never it's very hard to describe my commercial fiction books. They were all very different. Um, some of them were romance and kind of light, and others were, were, I used to say, they're not about romance, they're about love, which is far grittier, really. <laughs> and then there was some semi-crime books during that time. There was one called Even Better Than The Real Thing, which is about a con man. Um, and then there was Proof, which was actually the very last of them, which was about a courtroom trial. And um, it was told from the point of view of the guy in the witness box and two other characters. And again, that was kind of a murder mystery as to who had done it. So, Yeah. So and then I changed to completely into crime. I just
0: And in terms of that change then, so, you know, a proof, as you said, that was sort of the start of it. But that was more of a legal um, thriller as such, whereas your last two books um, is a whole, seems to be a whole new series. The current one, The Branded, is out at the moment. You've got a new uh, sergeant and their police procedurals. So did you did you sit down and plan this?
1: um not i never plan anything really it's just (laughs) Jasper. i just go where where it takes me but yes i mean my agent said to me actually she's martine if you're because you know i hadn't written anything for a while i said to her you know i have a yen to be on my own and in a room again and just create something and she just said look um if you you know she said she said to me like crime was doing really well and she's martine i've always thought your books would do very well in crime because you do really good characters and you plot very well. Um, Not that I plot, actually, I don't actually plot, Um, but she said, try your hand at that. So I thought, you know what, I've always wanted to know what it's like to be a police person or a detective. How do they work? So, yeah, so I kind of um, decided I'd write them and I never knew there was so much to learn (laughs) or I probably never would have done it. It was just unbelievable. The amount of research and you need to know the law really to write these books, you know, without and you can't slam it all into the book either. It still needs to be entertaining. So, yeah, it was a heavy. It was hard to do, but. Uh, it's it's actually great as well, you know, because they're mystery to me, the books as well. You know, I start them off. I don't know what's after happening or where it's going to go or who's committed the crime. And sure, look, then then it all comes together in some way. But how does that
0: work, though? Because as a crime novel as such, you know, you sort of assume it's going to start and, and you'll know the end in your head. So how, how do you do it without plotting it? Yeah,
1: I don't know. I kind of have a and it's same as I, I never plotted any of my books, really. So I suppose I have an idea in my head, I an image like for say for the branded. It was a girl in a suitcase in the middle of a lake, you know, and then the story just took off, you know. And now I'm not saying it was easy to write. You're still editing as you go and pulling things back and saying, oh, that doesn't quite work. Or, you know, you're still doing that. But all the time you're writing, you're thinking who could have done it? Um, I know that sounds mad. It's very hard to explain. Um, and then you never, well, I just never know. And um, <laughs> but it, I think you get more into the book and you get more in, absorbed by the plot and the story that eventually it kind of come. it works its way out. That's the only way I can describe it really. I, I might have an idea at the start who's done it, but it never works out that way. And is that part yeah. of the fun? Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't write a book if I plotted it. You know, I think I'd be bored. And plus, it doesn't open up any avenues for you to to be more creative, you know. Um, yeah, no, it is. It's a lot more fun. Sure, if I don't know who's done it, how's the reader ever going to know? Do you know? <laughs> That's the way I look at it.
0: <laughs> and had you planned that to be a standalone, the first one, or had you planned a series?
1: Um. Well, you get to a two book deal anyway. And I had written it as a standalone in that by the end of the book, Lucy had been offered an, a job somewhere and she was going to take it. But um, then the publisher said, you know, we were not done with Lucy yet. You know, we don't want Lucy to leave. Ackel. We want her to stay. So I was like, oh, okay. So they want more Lucy. So that was nice. I was delighted actually, because there is a lot to her. There's a lot more there. Um, So, uh, So now she's a series, yeah. Yeah.
0: So does does this mean there's a third one coming then?
1: The third one is done um, and then there's a fourth. But after that, I have no idea.
0: And what sort of reaction have you got, I suppose, from people who would have known you previously as, you know, maybe the commercial fiction writer and now moving into crime?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have... Such loyal friends and such loyal fans, and they just most you know they've they love it. I mean, I they they send me emails and stuff to say, I, I love your books, you know, I love this book, this is a great book. Um, and someone said to me, I've never read crime, it was actually my sister in law now. She said to me, Do you know, I never read a crime book, she said, until yours, and she said, I love it. And I she said, I'm addicted to crime now, so um. You know, uh, so yeah, so people do. They love it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure some people haven't, but they haven't told me. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to worry about them. And you've
0: been writing, as you say, for so long, over sort of 25 years. So has your approach to the craft changed?
1: Um, I don't think so. No. Um, I think I've got better in a way in that I've become more relaxed about it. I've sort of... um. You know i'm i trust myself maybe that you know if something if i'm not coming up with a plot that it will come um that kind of thing whereas before i remember the first time it happened i was stuck not with these books now but very you know maybe when i'd written about 10 books and i kind of got stuck on a book and i actually went down to anna mccarrick and i was i took i had two weeks down there and i was like this is great i have two weeks and think about this book and Literally, I just said, Do you know, I'm just going to write it. I'm not even going to think. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to read the last chapter I wrote and I'm just going to go. And actually, I finished that book in two days then. Oh, my God. Um, because, yeah, the book was there. It was written. It was all ready to go. I just couldn't see it because I was whatever. So I now I just say to myself, Do you know what? It's going to come. Just trust it. And it does. Um, so, no, I don't think... I think that's that's the only thing that's changed for me. And of course, computers have changed. And <laughs> technology, exactly. <laughs> yes. And that's another interesting point
0: you've made as well previously, that you sort of don't believe necessarily in writer's block. You feel if there is writer's block, it's actually your subconscious saying there's a problem with the plot.
1: Yes, absolutely. The, yeah, I do believe that. and um, And you know yourself there is. It's just very hard to acknowledge that because it means that you have to tear down what you've built and start again and and normally starting again is always better anyway and you know it's like if someone if someone gives me an edit um you always know if it's right because you've kind of had that feeling yourself and it galvanizes you into actually changing things you know um it's just a brave thing to do and it's the honest thing to do and
0: have you had to do that many times where you've had to tear it down or throw out thousands of words that you've written?
1: Um, I remember when I wrote Proof, which was the courtroom book, I had it. Basically, it's a story of a trial of a murder that happened and a, the history of the the person who is it being accused of the murder. But what I, I found when I was writing it was that I was writing the history, then I was writing the trial and there was an awful lot of repetition. And I said that's not working. That's not going to work. Like it's too much repetition. So what I had to do was I literally started from scratch, and I um built the history into the tr- the questioning at the trial. And it was so much better. But I had to start from zero words. But again, I wrote it really quickly because all the material was there. It was just a matter of restructuring. Sometimes that's all it is.
0: So how long had it taken you to write that first draft? And then when you went and started again, how long did it take for the second?
1: Uh, The first, it's hard to remember. Now, the first draft took a while because I knew, I knew it wasn't right. I was tinkering with it and going backwards and forwards. And I don't know what I was doing. And then um I was talking to someone about it and they said, "Oh yeah, sure you'd be sure God you'd be writing about the trial then, won't you?" And I thought, that's it. i just just write about the trial. That's all I need to do. And um and then it didn't take long. I think I got set, again it was Anna McCarrick. I love that place. I went down there and I took 2 weeks out and I think I wrote 72,000 words that in those two In weeks. 2 weeks? Oh my god. Yeah. Well, now you see what I was doing was I was taking chunks of what I'd already written and saying that that's where this part needs to go. And then I was editing it all down to make it like dialogue for a trial. So, yeah, it wasn't all fresh words, but yeah, it was just a whole restructuring thing. Yeah. But it really goes
0: to show what you can achieve just when you put your mind to it.
1: Yeah. And when you love what you do, you have to love it. You know, you have to be passionate about what you're trying to do. So and do you write every day now? Um, yes, but I haven't written much this summer now. I took a break for two months this summer. Um. So I do, yeah, I try not to, I don't write too much in the summer, but every other day, yeah, I'll always try to get something down. And the other thing I love
0: is you've written under, from what I can tell anyway, three different names. So oh, did you, yeah. you started out as Tina Riley, then you became Martina Riley and then Martina Murphy. What,
1: what happened? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I was... Martina Murphy, actually, in the beginning for the teenage books. And then when I went to write the commercial fiction, they said, oh, we don't want people confusing you. So they had me as Tina Riley because they thought it sounded modern and hip and everything. And then then what happened was I got um, published by another publisher and they said, oh, Tina Riley sounds too young um, and your books are cover serious issues. We'll have a Martina, a Martina Riley. So that sounds better. So I said, okay. So they had Martina Riley. And then for the crime, they thought the two M's, Martina Murphy, sounded better again. So I'm back to really where I've started and kind of come a full circle. So, yeah. And that's the reason it just looks better on a cover. You know, that's it. And did it make any difference to you? No, <laughs> not really. No, they're all my names anyway. Riley's my maiden name. So, but it's funny, the thing, the only thing that makes a difference is that writers that I met during my Tina Riley phase all call me Tina now. Right. You know, whereas other writers call me Martina. So it's, that's the only difference, really.
0: You'll answer to everything. One of the book I saw on the list as well was The Parenting
1: Survival Guide, not... Oh. What's that about? I I self-published that actually. I did it for charity, um, but didn't sell too much. I probably should have, I didn't know how to use social media at the time. It's basically, I wrote a load of columns at one point, I think it was for the Evening Herald, and it was all about parenting and um, funny columns about, you know, when your child won't sit in the boogie and makes itself into a rigid board and all that, you know, the usual things. Um, so I just got them all together, and I just thought, you know what, these co- these are sitting on my computer. I'll um, I'll put them all together, and I'll bring them out as a little, you know, ebook. And that's what I did. So that that was just self-published. I didn't do, you know, that's not one of my published books, really. And in terms of the business of publishing
0: again, you know, 25 years, it's a long time. You've obviously seen a huge amount of change.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I started I mean, my first book was written, um, typed up on a word processor um, and then it was sent to the publisher and then they sent it back like homework with all things wrong with it. And then I had to send it back again um and that's the way it was done and then you were sent a, an actual hard copy of, of your um you know uh, what you call it the cover of the book so everything was done by post um and then um email came in and then you could email your your ms off and that was fantastic and then of course social media is another massive thing like social media for books now is huge but i'm still a bit of a dinosaur i'm not terribly good at it. But thankfully, my daughter, who wouldn't sit in a boogie when I was writing about her, is a whiz on social media. So she does a lot of little videos and things like that for me, you know, so it's great. And in
0: terms of an agent, did you use an agent or do you have an agent at the moment? Did you use one over the years?
1: Yes, I've had um, two agents. Uh, One of them tragically died um, a few years back. And then I... Ended up with another agent, uh, Caroline Hardman is her name. She's fantastic. Um, she's in Eng- she's in England, and um, so yeah, she's great. So that's and, my agent.
0: And would you advise, I suppose, anyone listening who is writing or whatever, to to go down the agent route
1: as opposed to directly to the publisher? I think most publishers now are not taking unsolicited mm. manuscripts. I, th- do you know, I'm. I think yes. I mean, it's very hard to get an agent. And sometimes a publisher might look at your book and like it. It's all very personal, um, to be honest with you. It's like a publisher could like your book and an agent mightn't. So I kind of think, yes, agents are great for the business side of it because most creative people are hopeless at that. Um, And they're great for getting book deals and publishers will listen to them more. And a lot of publishers think that if an agent takes on a client, then what they have written must be good. Um, But I would say if you can't get an agent, absolutely. See, will publishers take your stuff and send it off?
0: Yeah. We mentioned earlier on as well about um, the plays. So you've written mm-hmm. a number of plays and this, as you said, was, was while you were um, being treated for breast cancer at the time. You took a step back from the actual writing, but you didn't sit on your laurels, did you? No, you just went off and wrote a couple of plays. So why <laughs> why the play
1: route? Um. Well, I kind. Of, well, what happened is in two thousand sixteen. Before I got diagnosed with the breast cancer, I had produced a play that was performed in the streets of Manuth, and it was called "Conquered Not Were We." And it was to celebrate the nineteen sixteen in in nineteen sixteen. Um, Fifteen men left Manuth and walked into the GPO. And what we did then was we walked from Manuth up to Carton House, and we had we did perform the GPO scenes there. And it was it was huge, like, and I think we got a thousand people over the two nights. Like it was really successful. And I just got such a high because I hadn't done anything like that in such a long time with the drama. So then, when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, I kind of reassessed and I thought, you know what? I think I'd like to work with other people again. I think I'd like just to go out there and see what we can do. So um, we did two plays, really. We did the Swift and Vanessa one, which which you mentioned, and we did another one called A Tale of the, a Tale of the Expected, which was kind of a comedy slash bittersweet kind of thing. And then we attempted to do Fractured as a play. Um, we, it was meant to be a two-year play cycle. Um, with an episode taking place every month in Maynooth to show an ordinary family living through the War of Independence and uh, but then Covid got in the way. So we had to do a podcast instead. <laughs> so we did them as podcasts. So they're series. It's a it's a it's like a soap opera, only it's it's told in podcast format.
0: And interesting. How did you find you, again? Because writing a book is so different to writing a play, which is so different mm-hmm. to writing a podcast.
1: Yes. Well, the, yes, the podcast, it was, I suppose, it was more like a radio play, I suppose, the podcast. So we took our scripts that we had as plays and we needed to add in sound. Obviously, that was a big thing. We needed to add in. If someone entered a room, we had to have the other characters say their name. Um, just little tiny tweaks like that. We had a very good sound engineer and he kind of picked up anything then that we, well, he was one of the writers actually as well. He was a multi-talented guy. Brendan Farrell is his name. He, um he uh, picked up anything that we had missed and he put the whole lot together then. Um, so we were incredibly lucky, but we had to make our own studio that was Covid safe and yeah. do it. You know, during Covid, like literally my husband made pods. We covered them with um, duvet quilts, big, thick, heavy quilts, and we would four of them in this enormous room. And the sound engineer then way up the top of the room. And uh, that's how we did it.
0: Again, amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well I was determined. We'd spent a year writing the thing. <laughs> I just couldn't <laughs> let it go. <laughs> you know, it had to, it had to, it had to, it had to be done. We thought, you know,
0: not going to waste at all. Um, so you'd mentioned there earlier on in terms of what you're working on at the moment. So the third uh, Lucy book is done. Where hmm. where are we then on the
1: fourth? the fourth book i haven't started it i hope to start it in september um once i finish my you know i'm going to london my daughter and after that i'm going to come back and kind of get the head down i've done a few interviews for it and done a little bit of research and stuff like that so
0: and see. what else is on the horizon
1: um i think that's it um i've a couple of other plays out with um do you know i kind of uh with writing the books now again it's hard to do your own plays. Uh, so I've sent a few of my scripts out to other, you know, uh, kind of groups and to see will they, they take them up. I've, you know, Abby Theater, hello. <laughs> <laughs> She's here waiting. <laughs> That's it.
0: Well, Martina Murphy or is it Martina Riley or is it Tina Riley? Thank you for joining us here on Inside yeah, you're Books. You're and you'll find all of Martina's many books online or at your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books I or Inside Books is a unique media production with research by Amy Wynn. And if you'd like to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production.